Let's open our Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. Amen. What a wonderful spirit this morning as we lift our hearts to the Lord and ask him to visit us with his presence. I believe he's doing that. I'm thankful for him. Jesus is just as much in this place as the person sitting beside you. He sure is. And I'm thankful for his presence. We invite him. We certainly do. We want him to be pleased. We want to listen intently to what he has to say. We don't want to be like the Laodiceans. Jesus gave him an opportunity to respond. I am thankful for God's his constant long suffering and his constant heart uh, for for each of us. Thank you, brother. And uh, even when we have gotten off track or perhaps we have not let the Lord in. I love the way the Bible says that Jesus stood at the door and knocked. And. It's a lesson for us even this morning, and it is every day, that remember, the Lord is not about busting your door down. Why? Because whatever you do, He wants you to do it from the heart. And that's why the doorknob is on our side. He says, if you would like for me to come in and sup with you, to be with you. Open and invite me in. So what we're doing this morning is that's exactly what we're doing. We're saying, Lord, come on in. Amen. That's what we want the Lord to do. We want him to speak to us this morning through his word. And we've had an opportunity to speak to him through praises and prayer. And now we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to each of us. Notice in your Bible there in the book of Nehemiah chapter 3. We come to this portion of Scripture that we covered last week. We emphasize the importance of repairing the place of the homes. It's interesting that Nehemiah, by divine providence and and the power of God and his leadership, orchestrated it in such a way that most of the workers that were rebuilding the gates and the walls, were doing it near their homes. And there were practical reasons for that. Uh, One of them, uh, which is that it would be convenient. They they would be, be able to go travel to their section of the wall or their gate and be able to go... Uh, home for maybe a, uh, for lunch. It'd <laughs> be an easy, uh, go home for lunch trek. Uh, maybe just to give the wife a kiss and say, I'm heading back out. I don't know what all it entailed, but it was, a, it was a practical reason for that. But also, uh, Nehemiah knew that these men would take extra good care of their homes. And if they were responsible for rebuilding up the defense, if you will, near their home, they probably would put a little bit more heart into it. Because it was close to home. It meant protecting their children. It meant protecting their family. 
And, and so there were practical reasons for that. And we looked at those four specific ones that, that gave uh, great uh, uh, attention to their homes and how that is foundational. This week, we will move more into more of a generality of what everybody was doing. Because what we have here in the text, as I'm about to read a few verses, we have about 38 individual workers that will be named in this passage. Now, there were, of course, a lot more than that. And, but he is going to name those in this chapter. But there are 42 different groups that are identified. And it's beautiful. You know, it's beautiful because of the variety, the, the, the diversity the dynamics that were there were those that worked with perfume, those that worked uh, uh, also with metal working, and, and uh, those were uh, working uh, in, in construction, those that were in governmental offices. It was everybody involved, all hands on deck, if you will. And ladies and gentlemen, what is that a beauty, beautiful picture of? The church, the local church. Listen, we are all so different. Amen? It always amazes me at the diversity in a local church. And it's just God's beautiful plan. So many backgrounds and, 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 and different, different stories and different uh, cultures and, and different families and all sorts of things all joined together in God's providential plan. And we get to work together for that one most important purpose, and that's the glory of God. That's, that's what they're doing here. Let's read. It says here in verse 1, as he gathered them together and he rebuked the enemy that was trying to distract him to get off the wall. We see that his response in verse 20. Remember, he told him, sir, you don't have any authority here. So you just basically need to go home because we're not coming off the wall. And that's our message as a local church. The devil's going to try to distract, but we're not coming off the wall. But now he's going to go into specifically describing of how this work is going to begin. And we see here that, first of all, it says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priest, and they builded the sheep gate. They sanctified it and set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Mia. They sanctified it unto the tower of Hananiel. And it says here in verse 2, and next unto him builded the men of Jericho. And then it says, and next to them builded Zakur, the son of Emery. You'll notice here, as you would read through this whole passage, we're not going to do for the sake of time. But you would notice at least 28 times where it occurs, where it will say, Next to them, next to him, next to that, the next sec section, beside him, and beyond them. What we see here, folks, is a beautiful picture of God's people working together. That's what we're doing. You have a strength that I don't have. I have a strength you may not have. We all are various, varied in our gifts and our abilities and our talents and our focuses. But what we do is we submit ourselves, first of all, to Christ. And then we submit ourselves to one another to be able to function with power, with unity. 
I'm thankful you're here this morning. That is that is a testimony that you're hungry and thirsty to say, God, I want to serve you with my life. I want you to do something with me that I can't do for myself. By the way, that's what you got to come to, right? You got to realize that there are some things that you just can't do in your own power. Now, God gives you the ability to make a choice. He gives you the power of choice to, to, to put forth effort. But when we do that, it's God that gives the supernatural power to accomplish his will. And folks, they're going to build this wall and the gates in 52 days. It's miraculous. The work that is accomplished. And it's all hands on deck. In fact, I could title this, this message, uh, that, uh, 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 that all hands on deck, or I could, I could simply call it, man your battle stations. And it's not just the men, it's the children, it's the wives, it's all the different occupations and the different strengths. It did, really didn't matter. And another thing we notice about this, if none of the people, it ever talked about him paying them. And that, and there's a reason why I didn't mention they were getting paid because they were not. It was all volunteer work. Nehemiah just said, folks, we know that what our city is right now, it's a reproach to the lost people around us. It's embarrassing. And we have a responsibility to step up and get this done by the grace of God. And he fired them up and boy, they were ready to go. And man, he was charged and they just started at it. And that's what chapter three is. It's basically just, just showing how they were just, whew, they just, they split up, but they also stayed together. They got to their individual stations. But they were side by side, encouraging each other, working through it. And I'm not going to get ahead of myself. There was only one group that did not participate. And I, I, my heart, I don't know how to feel about it because I know I could easily be put in that category at times in my life. But the Tekoites, the Bible says, said they would not bend their neck to the work. It says they were nobles with the Tekoites, the noblemen. In other words, there was a group that was in all these thousands of people going to work that says, I'm not getting involved in that work. I'm too good for that. I have better things to do. I have other priorities. Maybe they were disgruntled. Maybe they didn't agree with Nehemiah. Maybe they just thought, hey, this needs to be done differently. If I were in your shoes, Nehemiah, I'd do it this way. And there are groups like that that exist in churches. And that's unfortunate. And we pray that God would get a hold of those hearts. And that we can all just join together and realize it's much bigger than us. This is God's church. It's His plan. We're His people. And so we're seeking to do what He wants us to do. With a spirit of submission to one another. And to realize there are going to be hardships, there are going to be disagreements. We talked about last night at the Valentine's banquet of uh, unmet expectations. How do, you, how do you work through that as a believer? God gives us the solution. It's beautiful. It's called humility. And we talked about Jesus Christ as the embodiment of, he is the impediment, impediment uh, of humility. He certainly is. And so we see a group of people coming together, joining their hearts, and seeking to do the will of God. You see, it is so much like we as a church are doing. We are building walls all around us. We are repairing gates. And that is going to be really the focus of chapter 3. It's the gates. Because the gates are the main place where people are traveling through. Alright? 
I'm going to begin talking and preaching on them uh, this morning. I don't know how far I'll get. I may have to finish tonight, but uh, but nevertheless, we'll do our best. Uh, I'll give you a tip. When I see that you're listening well, I usually move quicker. Y'all don't believe that either, do you? It does help. It certainly helps when, when, when I feel like we're, it's just struggling, I'm just, and then I'm struggling, but the Lord is with us and we're going to do our best. But God uses all kinds of people. You read this chapter and it just jumps off the page at the different names and different groups. There's a job for everybody. There's a service for everybody. I'm grateful for all of you here. That is a part of your service is being in your place. I'm thankful for that. He assigned everyone with a specific work. He had the coordination. He was very gifted in his leadership. And, uh, and he shows that even with a spirit of humility. And he was out there in the front. He was doing it too. And leaders, we must lead from the front, not from behind. We uh, need to lead by example. Uh, we can't expect people to follow if we're in the back. And so Nehemiah uh, put forth that he was not too good. He was not too important. He was not too proud to be there getting his hands dirty and putting forth great effort for the glory of God. But the gates were super important. We see gates throughout all of the word of God and and the significance that is tied to them. And the reason of that is, is because if the enemy could break through the gates He's got you. He's got you. So the emphasis, Nehemiah said, let's get to the gates as we're getting to the wall. We're doing a rebuilding, uh, a restructuring. We are doing a repairing work. And he says, let's go to it. So there's ten gates. There's the sheep gate, the fish gate, the old gate, the valley gate, the dung gate, the fountain gate, the water gate, the horse gate, and the east gate, and the Mithkad gate, or the reviewed gate, or the accounting gate also could be known as. Those are all right here in chapter 3, and we're going to take a look at them with the Lord's help. Would you please pray with me, and, and, and please pray for me that the Lord will just lead in this time of preaching. Lord, I do submit my heart to you. I'm I'm very grateful at the privilege you give me to stand before these precious people to deliver the Word of God. I do not take that lightly, Lord. And I pray that you would help me to have a heart that is totally surrendered to your Spirit to do your work. And I pray for the precious listeners that they would listen to your voice. I pray your Spirit would speak much louder than my voice. I pray that I could just be a messenger boy this morning. And I I just thank you again for your presence. I thank you for your goodness. We invite you, Lord Jesus, to sup with us. Feed us from heaven. And God Almighty, do a work of revival. Let the fire fall, God. Let the fire fall. Oh, God. We need it. Set a fire in our bosom. God, help us. I believe you will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Each of these gates had a very significant purpose and importance, and I want to look at those. I don't want to go too wild with these gates. Uh, there is a specific interpretation of them. They were just very practical, quite frankly. There was a reason for them, 
And there's a description of each of the gates, but I do believe they are uh, symbolic of what we have in our Christian life. And I believe they are certainly have application for us that I believe God intended us to make. And so let's look at them. First of all, let's look at the first gate. And by the way, it's there's a reason it's the first gate. It's the sheep gate. And you could probably guess why the sheep gate is the first gate. Some of you have already guessed it. Some of you already knew this. But the sheep gate was first because that is where they brought in the animals, the sheep, the lambs for the sacrifice in the temple. That was the priority. The burnt offering sacrifices, the the sacrifices made unto God was the most important thing for the people of God. And specifically, it speaks of the Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ. He is our foundation. When, when Jesus talked about this rock, I will build my church, he was not speaking about Peter. Peter would give the deliverance of the message of the rock. But my friends, my, this church is not built on just a human person. It is built on the 100% man and 100% God. His name is Jesus. And my friends, in, in, in our Christian life, and you understand here today, if you're here visiting and you don't know the Lord, maybe you know about Him, but you don't know Him personally, you've never been born again, by putting your faith in that fact that He died for your sin and rose again the third day, that's your first step. All the gates that I will refer to and all the other things that that Christians do are useless apart from the sheep gate. Jesus Christ. That's why John the, the Baptist cried out, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. You see, this was the gate where the priest would bring in the animals. You see, our Bible talks about our Lord being the sheep that was brought before sinners to be slaughtered. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He, speaking of Jesus, was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. Mm. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. Think about that. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus said in the New Testament, he says, I am the door of the sheep. He says, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. And by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the door. He is the way in. And I trust today, if you've never made that decision before, I encourage you to make it. If you have any doubts, oh, please don't leave here doubting 
Don't continue living doubting. It will, it will hinder you. It will handicap you. You've got to have that full assurance that you have entered the gate through Jesus Christ. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Him. My friends, I preach unto you Jesus. What a Savior. We honor Him this morning. We love Him. And we would not be here without Him. And we certainly would not be going to heaven apart from Him. The sheep gate. Speaking of Jesus, the Lamb of God. But notice also, the next gate is mentioned in verse 3. Now, if you're looking at a map, and I'll, I'll have it ready, I'll show it to you tonight, because I think we're going to continue this message tonight. But the, the, the gates that are described here go counterclockwise, and they start in the north. Okay? And they start with the sheep gate, directly north, just adjacent to the temple, and it's going to work its way around counterclockwise. And the next gate is the fish gate. Now, this, I do believe, is, is talking about where the fishermen of Galilee would bring their catch in through this gate to be sold. And, and, and I believe this is uh, speaking and symbolically of in, in the Christian life, speaks about how God's children, once they do get saved, they become fishers of men. How many of you here like fishing? I just want to get a real quick cover. If you like going fishing, raise your hand. Raise it high so I can see it. Amen. Listen, why haven't y'all invited me fishing? I like fishing too. There's a lot of fun in fishing, just being outdoors. And man, that adrenaline you get when that fish hits right there. And boy, you're getting them in. And, and uh, it's, uh, it's fun when you're catching. That's not always fun you go out there and don't catch a thing. You know, I enjoy it. I enjoy the beautiful nature. So there is always enjoyment in just going fishing. But, uh, but I tell you, there are days, as you know, you fishermen, that's part of it. That's part of being a fisherman. You sometimes go out and go fishing and you don't catch anything. That's just part of it. Well, when I, when I think of this fish gate here, I believe that, remember when Jesus told us and told the disciples that, look, once you become a Christian, you also become a fisherman or a fisherwoman. You become a fisher of men, of people. You say, Jesus said that. That's what he said. He said in Matthew chapter 4 verse 19, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I read a most interesting um, uh, statistic in preparing for this message. It said this. It said that it seems to be that the first two years of a Christian is when they will lead the most people to the Lord. I thought to myself, that's interesting. The first two years, and, and, and then uh, I talked to Joanna about it a little bit, and, and, and we were discussing why is that. Well, I'm sure there are several reasons, but some of them I think are just practical. It's not necessarily spiritual in the sense of like it's wrong or you're guilty of doing something wrong. But I thought, I thought about this. Think about this. When you first come to Christ, especially if you've saved a little later in life, some of us are saved young, and that's awesome. 
But if you're saved a little later in life, you think about it, you're probably around a lot of lost people. That don't know the Lord. So you're going to have a lot more open doors and opportunities to share the gospel. Not only that, but many times when a person comes to know Christ, and it should be, there should be a change. And there, there is a change. There's not always a change, but you notice what I said. There should be a change. There should be a change that people note. So, boy, that person's different. Man, they don't act the way they used to. They don't talk the way they used to. Man, I don't see them. Man, you seen so-and-so lately? Ah, oh, you heard about him. Yeah. You heard about him. He's in, he's what do they call him? Uh, uh, found religion, brother. I found a lot more than religion. Oh, something a lot better than religion. I found Jesus. Jesus. I found Jesus, and that that makes a difference, and and they see a difference in that. So that that's a that's a big part. But then. So I understand this about each of us here. The first two years, that doesn't have to be the case. It doesn't give us the excuse, well, because see what happens, the downfall of that, and there's a, there's a con to this. What happens a lot of times we get saved and we start growing older in the Lord. We start maturing. We get part of a good Bible-believing church, and we should. We get into a good Sunday school class, and we should. We should be attending the services. That, that when the doors are open, we should try to be there and worship together. But... Sometimes we get caught up in that so much that we find ourselves not being around unbelievers at all. That's a problem. You know what that means? There's, there's not a problem of being around Christians all the time, but the problem is, is when we refuse to make a double effort to go get around lost people. Now, that could come in various ways. It could come through a hobby. It, it could be... In your neighborhood, it could you, but the fact of the matter is, there's a discipline there that Christians, as they get older in Christ, it gets harder and harder just to get out among the people. We almost want to hide in our bubbles, in our little circles, in our little comfort zones. And Jesus says, you get out there and be fishers of men. You know what he's saying? He's saying, go after sinners. Go after them. You say, isn't that being judgmental, saying going after sinners? Absolutely not. The Bible says Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He he came not to, to, to be ministered to, but to minister. Jesus, the Son of Man, came into this world to save sinners. I was a sinner that needed the grace of God. You were a sinner that needed the grace of God. You hopefully were a sinner that someone came and was a fisher of men to you. Someone came to me, Alex Yazbek, Arthur Mayhart, two of my Coast Guard buddies. They were fishers of men. And thank God they caught one. I don't know what species it, it consider it. You're a fisher of men. The fish gate. You, you see, that's why, that's another reason why the first two years, and I think that statistic is, is real, because another reason is, and I experienced this, 
And it's crazy. That's just this old flesh. It's the way it works. But we got to be on guard. A lot of times what happens with a believer that first gets saved, they're on fire for God for the first couple years as a new Christian. It's all new to them. It's like, man, i got to tell the whole world. Man, you're going telling everybody they're going to hell and they better get saved. You don't care. You get, you, you, there's no shame and you don't have the tact that you should have. But at least you got the fire. And that's the fire of God that we all should have. And it's not going to come by just twiddling our thumbs. We're going to have to seek after God's face and say, Lord, you know where I'm at now. You are growing me. I'm part of a good church. But Lord, give me some avenues. Some of you have them. Some of you have some good mission fields in your workplace. Some of you have some good ones in your neighborhood. I mean, real good mission fields. You don't need to go to Africa necessarily. You need to go across the street. And just tell those people about what Jesus Christ has done for you. And if they reject it, that's on them. But you're seeking to be a fisher of men and women. And and there's a lot of times when you go seasons of fishing, you don't even get a bite. But that's all right. He didn't tell us worry about what kind of bites you get. How many you catch. Jesus said, just follow me and go fishing. And we can do that. You can do that. And I know we had just about half of us or three quarters that says, I like fishing. But I would hope to God that if I were to ask you now, how many here are fishers of men? I hope that every single person in this room would raise their hand. Because that's what the Bible calls you. If you're following Jesus. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Pray to the Lord. God, renew that burden. Some of you need to make that decision today. God, I've gotten cold about souls. They're just humans to me. It's just humans. Instead of humans with a soul. You realize that humans are not bodies with a soul. They're souls with a body. Souls that will live somewhere forever. We need to get them the good news. We can't save them, but thank God we can get them to the one who can. We can direct them and guide them and pray for them and lead them and trust the Lord to do the work in their hearts because it's only the Lord that can convince them. What about you, friend? Is there someone you're praying for right now that you're seeking to Build a relationship with to share the gospel. Most people do not come to Christ on a first encounter. That's very rare. It does happen, but it's very rare. So it's important that we build relationships. The people around us. And it's, it's, it's that we're influencing them. Now, I, just at the risk of somebody uh, misinterpreting what I'm saying, just let me clarify. I'm not suggesting that you go out and be like them. And do the things they do. Because if you find yourself, if you find yourself being more influenced by them than you are influencing them, you need to back out. That's just the discipline of the Christian life. If you're getting drugged down, if you're getting tempted, you have to have the discipline to say, I'm gonna have to back out a little bit here. And find other ways because the truth of the matter is, but we are called to build relationships and to seek to lead them to the Lord.
the fish gate. But then secondly, thirdly here, notice this next gate, the old gate. That's found in verse 6. Now, verse 5 goes back to what I was talking about earlier. There was the Tekoites that uh, repaired there, but it says their nobles in verse 5 put not their necks to the work of their Lord. And I don't think it's an accident. Now, please listen to me here. Now, I'm not judging anybody here, but I'm just trying to exhort you, encourage you, friend. Remember, this was around the context of the fish gate. This is before they moved to the old gate. And there's a lot of people that think that they're too proud to share the gospel with someone. I don't want to be humiliated. I don't want to be rejected. I'm not doing that. That's for some other believer. But I hope to God that everybody in this room will realize, no, I am going to do that. That is my responsibility. I'm going to put my neck out there. I'm going to put my neck to the work. I'm not going to stand by while the world goes to hell and just say, well, if they'll get saved, they'll get saved. No, I have a part. I have a place. Then it goes into the old gate. The old gate speaks here of the old paths. The old gate was a gate perhaps that had been there in a the original part of the, the city. It... uh they, there were practical reasons for that, but Nehemiah is the only book in the Bible where it is called the Old Gate, and it may have been one of the original gates, as we have that reference there as the Old Gate. What is the application to us as Christians today? Well, as we build the walls for the kingdom of God, we got to understand that there's a world out there that's trying to get us to invent new ways. Specifically, it's the woke culture. We just need to get woke, they say. Christians don't need to get woke, but they certainly need a poke. We need to wake up. And it's not about getting with the culture and doing everything the culture's telling us to do, but it's about us realizing that it's still by the blood. It's still the sheep gate that people are saved. It's still the preaching of the cross. It's still preaching the, the death, burial, and resurrection. It's still discipleship. It's still local church faithfulness. It's still reaching those that are around us, as I mentioned about the fish gate. It's still, that's the old paths. It's not about commercialism. It's not about trying to draw the crowd and give them what they want to and then pat them on the back and have a nice day. Thank you for being a part of our church. That's, those are the new ways coming. Now we gotta get back to preaching the whole counsel of God. We gotta stay true to this blessed book and preach the whole counsel of God. Hey! We, we got to preach true holiness of God, the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the love of God, the peace of God, the grace of God, all of it. Every bit of it. Let's don't get soft on sin. Hey, I need preaching on sin. I like getting my toes stepped on. You know why? Because I need my toes stepped on. 
I hope you come to church and say, God, you just give me what I need today. Get me, Lord. Hit it right where I need it, Lord. Help me. Let the preaching of the Word, the old ways. What about the old paths of just getting a hold of God in prayer? <laughs> we got in a way, we, 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 we think to ourselves, Lord, we got a better way. We got a better way to get things done. Let's just get better looking facilities. Let's get all the, the, the just the, the entertainment feel of things and let's put a show on for the crowd. Well, if we put a show on, then the prayer room's empty. You know what happened? We've gotten away from the old paths. And Jeremiah said that to the children of Israel. And here we are thousands of years later that I believe we can say the same message to the church. And that is this. In Jeremiah 6.16, he said, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. And guess what they said? And we will not hearken. I'm thankful that this church is 220 years old. I'm thankful that this church has stood by the, the truth of the Word of God. But I want to tell you, that's not guaranteed for future generations. We have to take a stand on the book, on the blessed hope. We have to truly believe this Word and not make excuses for it. Oh, I trust that the Lord will help us to get more fervent about seeking God's face in prayer. I know last Monday we met for revival prayer at 6 a.m. Had a good group. We're going to do it again tomorrow morning. If you want to come, you come. Perhaps you can just pray at your house. Get up at 6. We're seeking God for revival. I don't want to, hey, I don't want to be status quo to you. Do you know, Leonard Ravenhill said this. Do you know why people live without revival? Because they're content to live without it. No problem. Just going to just do the church thing. No biggie. But what we need is the fire of God, brother. We need a stirring, a refreshing. God, burn it in our hearts. And help us not to try to invent new ways. Now, you understand, at the risk of being, again, misinterpreted, I just... Listen, I'm not talking about we can't be innovative in our approach of things. We got to. You, you just go into the mission field. You learn those things. I'm, that's not the context. I'm talking about getting away from the fundamentals of what, what God says will build His church. That is, that is prayer. That's good, a fiery pulpit of preaching the Word of God. And there's a difference between preaching and teaching, and both are biblical. But preaching is going after the heart. Primarily. Teaching is going after the mind. Both are necessary. Both are biblical. But we need good, strong Bible teaching. We need good, strong Bible preaching. I'm praying God will raise up some preachers in here. Hey, who here will say, God, I'm ready. Just work in my heart. I'll do what you want me to do. If you want me to preach, I'll preach. Gideon didn't think he was going to be called to preach. Peter didn't think he was called to preach. Moses didn't think he was called to preach. A lot of these throughout the Word of God says, Surely you got the wrong guy, Lord. But may God help us to stick to good Bible, passionate, 
biblical, Christ-centered, Holy Ghost-filled preaching. And where the altars don't grow cold, where hearts don't get lukewarm, where we don't respond to the Word of God, where we just stay stuck in our ways. Hey, let's get a refreshing. Let's get a renewing. Wednesday nights, we're seeking God's face. You're seeking the Lord in your homes, getting back. Hey, if you're concerned about your children, let me ask you. First question I ask myself, if I see the devil having a heyday in my own heart or my children's heart or wherever, you know what I got to ask myself? Are we praying together? That's the old path. The new path is psychology where they need to see a, a, a psychologist. Well, listen, I'm not getting hard on it. There is Christian uh, psychologists out there. I am not being critical. But what I'm saying is when God used those things as a substitute for the old paths of just getting on your face and crying out to God, God, you've got to do something. You've got to help us, Lord. That's the, that's the book of Acts. That's the book of Acts. Preaching, teaching, prayer. Soul winning, unity, local church assembly, worshiping God, breaking bread together. I'm so glad they put that in there. Because Baptists definitely have that one covered. I got to watch out or I'm going to be having to buy another suit. Just that's the old paths. And we can't get away from that, brethren. We just can't. And I hope that you'll commit in your heart with me as a, as a local church that we're going to stick to the old paths. The old gate. We're not going to substitute. We're just going to do what God's called us to do. Get out there in the world and be a light. Witness to the people God has given you. Keep Jesus at the center of everything. Make Him the priority. That's the way it's going to get done. It's not my idea, and it's not your idea. It's God's. It's His plan. So as we think about the gates being repaired around the beautiful city of Jerusalem, Nehemiah went in the order that God told him to go in. And I believe there's are lessons for us in our own life, even today. So can we take this to heart? Can we prioritize? Can we stay focused? And boy, it's going to be beautiful. Let's don't be like those old noblemen with the Tekoites and refuse to bend the knee or to bend the hand or to bend the neck and just get after it with the power of God. Let's don't be like them. Let's just commit to do our part. If you're in agreement with that, by God's grace, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Let's pray together.